0: Today's show is sponsored by Talkspace, the online therapy company. Talkspace makes it easy to connect with a licensed therapist handpicked just for you for as little as $32 a week. Using Talkspace, you can text, audio, and video message your therapist and talk about your life, what's keeping you up at night, or even your annoying coworker. To sign up and learn more, go to Talkspace.com slash watch. And to show your support for this podcast, use code watch to get $30 off your first month. That's talkspacecom slash watch. Talkspace, therapy for how we live today. Hey, American Express card members! You do not want to miss this. Now through December 31st, there is a big reason for you to shop small at local stores in your neighborhood. Learn more and enroll your eligible card today at americanexpress.com/shopsmalloffer. That's americanexpress.com/shopsmalloffer. Terms apply.
1: I need sports staff to, to clear the room. Stand up and walk now. now.
0: Hello, and welcome to The Watch. My name is Chris Ryan. I'm an editor at TheRinger.com, and on the other line, it's Mr. Me Too! It's Andy Greenwald! Yo, this is exciting. You know, we're back, uh, I'm in your time zone, but we're not in the studio right now. No, I know. So this is kind of exciting. You have, like, we have all sorts of technology we can apply to the situation, man. Andy, this is a sort of strange re-up because we are in between... You know, there's not like a midweek TV show that is demanding our attention. We covered Search Party on Monday, which everybody should be watching. And I think everyone's sort of looking forward to and getting ready for the finale of Westworld. Uh, you know, there's been a lot of really cool. You know, I did want to ask you something about Westworld really quick. Is, um, do you think that, did you get a chance to read Allison's piece on The Ringer about is the internet spoiling TV?
1: Uh, I did not, but I agree. I'm just going to give you a blanket yes, and I think that's a brilliant, brilliant piece.
0: But, you know, this is something that you've, you've been writing about TV on the Internet for a really long time, and I've been watching TV and also been on the Internet for a really long time, and I think that Westworld mm-hmm. is actually um, kind of an unfair thing show to put this on um, in terms of, you know, Westworld is actually begging to be unwrapped and unlocked and de- and mm-hmm. solved and all this stuff. Uh, and I think that's partially what kind of leads you to, to be a little bit skeptical about the show in general is because if you didn't have all this scholarship around the show, would the show itself actually be entertaining? Um, yes. Do you find that it's kind of starting to creep into other stuff? I was reading today a couple interviews, as I like to do with Amy Sherman Palladino, because, you know, I like to keep <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) up on on asp's takes i want to know about rory gilmore's sense of privilege and everything and you know but i was just i even saw people asking her like oh there's a fan theory about this and i was like it's gilmore girls man like no shots gilmore girls is is definitely what it is but but not everything is gonna have easter eggs and fan theories about it and i was just wondering if you'd started to sense that creeping into other stuff
1: i completely well not only do i agree with you and not only have i sense it i'm really glad you brought up the gilmore girls reunion first of all i'm just glad you brought up the gilmore girls reunion because i've loved stars hollow you know, <laughs> I, I actually plan to get a, a retirement condo there for when this is all over with but the, the basically i think gilmore girls which full disclosure i have not watched <laughs> on netflix so i feel very confident waiting Did you out watch into, it when it was um, on at
0: all You
1: know, sometimes I would um, just when I felt like my life was going too slow and I needed to hear – just to remind myself the way people who had been snorting Adderall talked um, because that's what those characters sounded like to me. But no, I enjoy – it was fine. It was a cute show. I was never a super fan, but I enjoyed it when it was on. But the fact that it is back is – okay, that's fine. I mean, we are definitely in a universe where this isn't even... I I don't think this is what we mean when we talk about Westworld, but the internet has affected TV in one major way, which is um, it it has... To help to transform television into into more of a vehicle of just fan service, right? Um, Gilmore Girls would not be back on Netflix if there wasn't this enormous desire expressed on message boards and on Twitter and on I don't know on on, on uh, I was going to say live journals, but that's just dating myself um, to bring it back. But so it's back, but it comes back into this fevered um, cauldron of discussion that really isn't even about. The artistic merits of these their four episodes right of the, of these yeah of four these four ninety minutes
0: like there are four four like episode two dude it's like it 's like ninety minute runtimes on each
1: it 's just that immediately and i 'm saying this as someone who did not actually engage with the content but was unable to avoid being um, swamped with the reception and reaction and analysis and dissection of the content, meaning it it, it immediately transformed what it was a sweet you know, well-written, well-acted show into Westworld or Lost, right? Like, I, I saw many, many uh, links to articles about, like, what the final four words of the series might mean. Um, there was, I, you know, you weren't even joking. I, there literally was a headline for a story about what Gilmore Girls gets wrong about privilege. And then on the same website, what Gilmore Girls gets wrong about journalism. And it's like, I don't know if everything merits this. You know what I mean? Like as my old biology teacher used to say, not everything is a pig uterus. Not everything needs to be dissected on the table.
0: (laughs) Are you sure that was your biology teacher? (laughs)
1: Weirdly. I'm going to be honest with you. That's my financial planner. But I, I, I think that it does transform the experience into something much more heated and much greater than it ought to be. And not everything can withstand that. And I, and I say this, obviously, as someone who's doing the reverse of what you probably should with these television shows, because if you were just a fan of Gilmore Girls and you turned on your Netflix machine and you were like, oh, cool, there's more Gilmore Girls, your experience with it is is bounded by your own interest in experiencing it. Do you know what I mean? You are not immediately taken out of the engagement of it and put on this much more hypercritical, um, uh, uh, rapacious... Um, interaction with the show which i again i don't know if it can support it whereas westworld i also don't think it can support it but at least it was designed specifically to feed those urges
0: see that's funny that you should say that because i would say that it's the reverse is almost true where gilmore girls because it would be like let's and let's not unnecessarily like you know drag stars hollow because if terriers came back You know, a a show that you loved and a show that you have often like, sort of not so subtly, you know, urged the universe to bring back into your life, and and there's really no reason why it should, it couldn't come back. There would be a degree to which you would have a transactional relationship with that, right? You would expect it to do certain things that it did the first time around. You would expect it to satisfy certain um, desires, certain urges you would have for it. Um, not to make it sound like you have a sexual relationship with that show. I don't know why I made that. I, I do. It's okay. I can <laughs> um, but Westworld was coming into a vacuum. I mean, like, nobody knew what Westworld was going to be like. It, right. For all we know, it could have been an incredibly chatty show, or it could have been a show that really, like, pushed aside a lot of the theological and philosophical questions about human consciousness, and just really was, like, more of, like, a straight, hard Procedural sci-fi and every episode was a different guest comes to the park and they have a different adventure. I mean they they, they literally could have done that. Um, Who, who's having the sexual relationship with a straight hard
1: TV show? Please go on.
0: <laughs> but I think that uh, you know you know that's what was that's been what's so fascinating about all of the discourse around Westworld that's popped up is that it has almost Like we've been training, like we've been running up and down the art museum steps with, uh, with like Game of Thrones on our back, and it's made us strong, and it's made us able to do these (laughs) knuckle push-ups on this content, and say like, oh, okay, like here it is. Now, Joy and Nolan are also incredibly talented at giving us. The Easter eggs that we need to make scrambled eggs, you know what I mean? Um, and and that wow. is Ooh, that's good. Boy, I got a lot of imagery flying today. We got pig uteruses and scramb- like I don't know what's it's going. Rich, it's just the re-up. But, um, yeah, I guess I was just I just wanted to talk about that a little bit. I, I, for what it's worth, you I, know, I, I did watch Gilmore Girls.
1: Whoa. Okay. Before we unpack that, I just want to circle back to one point you made. I loved the canceled too soon FX series Terriers. I am not denying that. However, and, and and just last week. Um, when I was in New York, I did a, I, I, I moderated a a panel with, uh, with, um, Eric Schreier, who, you know, we had Nick Rad on our podcast from FX. Eric Schreier is the other president of original programming there. Mm -hmm. And in front of an audience, I, I actually begged him to resurrect Terriers, but let's be honest, I don't really want that to happen. I'm going to come clean. Because I don't think it would live up to the expectations in my head, and I think it ended in an appropriate place. And that's not really a popular opinion to have about anything, especially people who want to see Donald Logue getting more work. But th- because what you're talking about, and I think you really nailed it when you talked about when we have these resurrections, you talk about the expectations we carry into them, and that becoming almost that almost becoming the A story, and the the new material itself becoming the B story. Um, it's not so much that I want it. it I feel like there's an element that isn't discussed, which is that when people want beloved things from not even their childhood, but from previous parts of their lives, brought back, they don't want the thing brought back. They want that part of their lives brought back. Yeah. They want a time machine, right? They want it because the way we interact with culture, and this is a, this is not groundbreaking. This is in some ways like the the text of our podcast, especially one in which we're going to talk about the 10 year anniversary <laughs> of a rap album. Uh, this is all this is kind of all time travel in a way or a wish to have time travel and to preserve not the thing but who we were when we interacted with the thing and the context changes our appreciation of just about anything and i'm sure there are listeners who don't understand why we feel the way we feel about Kanye or don't understand why we feel the way that we feel about um, or rea- why we've reacted the way we've reacted to Atlanta or divorce or insecure or whatever, precisely because they don't link up in terms of, they don't link up chronologically with us. So I, I feel like that, that essentially is part of it. Um, I guess the flip side, to go back to Gilmore Girls, is that, and this is the most positive spin I can put on it because otherwise I just... I, I was just throwing up my hands with this stuff, to be honest with you. But maybe who we were ten years ago were people who enjoyed watching Gilmore Girls as a TV show, and who we are ten years later are people who want to investigate the concept of privilege in Stars Hollow. Maybe that's where we are now. And no, maybe we should be I think okay that, with that I
0: think that that's not totally fair. I mean, I think that, and I also oh,
1: wait, wait. Th- to be clear, it is definitely not fair. But go on.
0: No, but I mean, like the assessment you're making of like how I, I don't think that we bring these things back just to run them through the ringer of um like the sensibilities that the modern sensibilities is that what you're trying to say
1: no no i'm just saying maybe maybe to be to be generous like we we, we we're not that we bring the back in order to do that but maybe it is better than the better version of what i was saying which is i want terriers back because i really want to relive how i felt in 2010 Um, maybe the better way of saying it is these things come back and we, in the best case scenario, we look at them with contemporary eyes, which means interrogating privilege, which means looking at them like Easter eggs, which means looking at them like serialized content packages or looking at them basically the way we look at TV shows in 2016, not the way we watched it on the CW or, or was it the WB back, you know, 10 years ago.
0: Hmm. Okay. Well, let's, that's, that's actually, uh,
1: what? Wait, before you table it though, what'd you think of Gilmore Girls, man?
0: Um, well, I had, uh, I I was a little mystified by it because I'd actually never seen it before. Like, you know, I I think I I was aware of it the way someone who had maybe never watched the West Wing could become very familiar with it by watching a a montage on YouTube. Yeah.
1: Chris, you're one of those people who didn't see Star Wars, but started watching Star Wars with uh, Phantom Menace. (laughs) Like, you are this rare flower. You are I mean, totally unique culturally,
0: but honestly, if Phantom Menace had been just a release straight to Netflix, I'm sure there would be thousands of people like that. You know, it's just it's about ease Fair. of access, and I think that. Uh, it was very similar to uh, Stranger Things in that it was like a couple of days where there wasn't really anything else to watch, um, and I felt very caught up on other stuff. And and all of a sudden, I was just like, I got to see how these crazy kids make it work. You know, are, are <laughs> I, you?
1: Did you? Was that a spoiler alert? Does that mean the final four words out of Rory Gilmore's mouth are "Why the fuck is the space worm in my throat"? <laughs> Like
0: is, the, is that why it's like Stranger Things? <laughs> yeah. Did you just spoil all of it, Mom? What's a demigorgon? Uh, gorgon? <laughs> yeah. So I, I watched it. I it had its it has it has its charms, you know. It's not really my thing, but it, I was I was uh, I was not unhappy watching it. Look, I was a little mystified I, by some of it, but yeah.
1: I think we can end the conversation on here since for the fifth time I'll reiterate I haven't watched it, which makes me uniquely unqualified to even have this conversation. But I think maybe my annoyance at some of the the internet headlines I saw related to Gilmore Girls come from the fact that we should have shows like Gilmore Girls. And I don't mean to belittle or say it in a pejorative way when I say that Gilmore Girls is a wonderful, small show. In that it is about people and their relationships and the sparkly, very fast way that they talk to each other. And and Dainu, you know what I mean? Like that that should be enough. I it it it's a it's sort of a, a different way to, to suggest the creeping blockbusterization of television that that it had to be an event and that it had to spawn the same sort of think pieces that a much more Blockbustery show like Westworld or Game of Thrones uh, create. It's, uh, does, does that make sense?
0: Yeah, no. It's funny to imagine a world in which because when you said that, I was about to just go into like a quick little. Is there anything that's actually a quote on TV anymore? Where it's like on any given mm-hmm. night, if you sit down and you're like, I am just going to turn on my television. You, you're hoping for. 30 minutes to 120 minutes of entertainment in any given night. And there used to be reliably, when there were less options, you could find that. You could cobble it together from multiple networks. Networks would go out of their minds trying to assemble a night for you to find that, right? And I was like, oh, yeah, but there's nothing like you're like, when you said that, I was like, yeah, I don't think there's anything like Gilmore Girls on right now where you could just reliably watch that once a week. But the thing is, is that, you know, it's funny, crazy ex girlfriend. Ticks some of those boxes, and I'm not just saying because it's just like, you know, like it's it's smart comedy, female-driven comedy with like musical. I mean, like Crazy Ex-Girlfriend has more musical numbers, obviously, but Gilmore Girls actually has quite a few. (laughs) This in this reboot, but um, Crazy Ex-Girlfriend is like no one's watching that, and I I don't mean that in like as a shots way. Like nobody is watching that show, and you know maybe they'll keep it on because it's critically adored, but. That is definitely a show that like would come back in 10 years where people would be like, I found Crazy Ex-Girlfriend for like the two seasons that it was on. It became a cult hit. People have learned all the songs and they brought it back.
1: Well, that's also why they keep making it. Um, But the the, the other thing that someone who who was worked on the other side of the desk in the industry would say um, to my point about why when Gilmore Girls returns, it has to be a blockbuster is because. Gilmore Girls The Return is not in direct programming competition with shows like it or Game of Thrones it is not just in competition with those things all the options that we have it's also in direct competition with Gilmore Girls which exists for people to watch at any time they want Yeah, um, which didn't used to be the case so you have to you have to come back bigger or more weaponized or whatever the case may be, just just, just to be noticed and just to survive and, and even beyond the idea of having a reason for existing, a reason that I, I, I still question. But maybe I won't question it after I learn those final four words.
0: <laughs> um, well, before we get to the final four words, let's take a quick break from our sponsors. Hey guys, just want to tell you a little bit about Sonos. Sonos is the smart speaker system that streams all of your favorite music, radio, or podcasts to any room or every room. I am all in on Sonos and have three rooms of their speaker system in my house. One person can be listening to uh, NPR in the kitchen. Another person can be listening to classical in the bedroom, all while I am immersed in Hell Hath No Fury by clips while I work in my office. There is a simple addition that makes all the difference. They have a play pause button that's right on the speaker. So unlike other products that have tried to bring wireless sound into the real world you don't have to pull out your phone open an app sort through the menus just to pause what you're listening to you can just walk up and push a button on the speaker it is amazing their simple app brings together all your favorite music services your radio podcasts lets you control everything from songs to volume to rooms you can even play the same song in every room at once which is great for parties i don't even know how you would do a party without sonos seriously add your existing music services or discover something new go to sonos.com right now Hey guys, today's episode is also brought to you by the Books. Looking for something nice to celebrate a landmark moment or show appreciation for an everyday gesture? Send a book. A book is a bouquet simplified. Let me explain further. The Books Company starts with Farm Fresh Flowers. These babies are chemical free and sourced from eco-friendly sustainable farms. The flowers arrive the day they're cut compared to the nearly three weeks you're gonna get somewhere else. Plus, prices start at a mere forty bucks and there's no hidden fees or unnecessary upsells. Register with your email for a free weekday delivery. Right now, our listeners can save 15 bucks. Just go to books.com slash watch. That's B-O-U-Q-S dot slash watch. Okay, Andy, we are back. We're going to talk a little music for the rest of the pod. Uh, a little bit of Hell Hath No Fury. Clips' seminal album is celebrating its 10th anniversary this week. And we're also going to talk a little bit about Weekend's Starboy album. But first, I wanted, I wanted to cede the floor to the gentleman from Pennsylvania. <laughs>
1: I just wanted to tell you about, uh, you know, people love Hollywood stories, you know, people love it. (laughs) That's one thing I've learned since moving to Hollywood. No, no, they hate it. But we we have a captive audience. I just, I wanted to tell you this, and I figured this is the time we're talking today, so I'll tell you. uh, Last night I did a, I moderated a a SAG, Screen Actors Guild panel for the cast of Mr. Robot. That's one of the best Um, guilds, man. It it is a strong guild. Um, It's definitely one of the more demonstrative, dramatic guilds, because it was just a room full of actors. It was right across from from Sunset Gower. And right before before the thing started, I went to the bathroom, as one does, and emerging from a uh, back staircase right by the bathroom was a figure, an older figure with a sort of devilish grin and sunglasses on. Can I guess? And, yeah.
0: Was it Josh Lucas? Go ahead.
1: (laughs) Great guess. (laughs) Great guess. Josh Lucas was in the bathroom having a by himself meeting with a mirror. But... (laughs) this character gave me pause i was like oh my god I, I know this i know that face i know that 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 wolfish grin because in fact he was the star of wolf and i turned to the people around me and we were all looking at each other because we're like holy shit that's jack nicholson what jack nicholson is in noi house on sunset boulevard and not only that <laughs> he appears to be here to attend a mr robot cast no, panel. no 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 so I go back to the room and I'm like, I run to the USA Publicist and I'm like, why is Jack Nicholson here? And everyone's like, we don't know. We don't know. And I'm like, isn't this awkward? Because Christian Slater, who's five feet from me, the first half of his career was just bedeviled by comparisons to Jack Nicholson. Yeah, so in my mind, I'm working out all these connections. I'm like, maybe they, they met and they had an awkward chuckle over some over a drink and like now they're friends. And so he came to see his buddy. I don't know what it is, but there's, there's hubbub. We're all talking about it. The cast is talking about it. So... The the event begins. Um, I'm up, up, up I'm up on stage, and it's Rami and Christian and and friend of the pod Sam Esmail and um, uh, Portia Doubleday and Carly Chakin and Grace Gummer and Stephanie Corneliuson who plays uh, Joanna Wellick, who is much more intense in person than she is on the show. What? And we're doing <laughs> what? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, she 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 mostly wanted to talk about Catherine the Great, and then kept asking me what roughly what years Catherine the Great was alive. <laughs> I was like. 17th century? I, don't, like, I was honored that she thought I would know that, but I also felt very intimidated because she's seven feet tall. Anyway, we're up on stage, you know, and I'm, I'm chatting with the cast and making some jokes, some, some quality Rami Burns about him winning an Emmy, and I, my eyes drift down to the front row. And there's Jack, man. There's the there there, there he is. Oh, so he you know got what I
0: mean? he got the Lakers seats
1: of the SAG panel talk. He, 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 exactly right. There he is, right in front of me. There, you know, he, he he's he's looking up, he's still wearing his sunglasses. And at a certain point, and he's he's hanging on every word, like only a super fan of the show would be. And then, you know, I I, I I'm 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 joking about something, Carly says something, and I and I make a joke about like how actors like actor talk or whatever, and I turn. Jack's losing it. Jack loves it. Chris, Jack loves me. I'm killing in front of Jack Nicholson. And this doesn't make me nervous. This boys it gives it's the wind beneath my wings, it you know. It should. I feel so, like there's a
0: butt coming though. So
1: there, there is there is a Sir Mix-a-Lot size <laughs> butt coming. So I am I, but what's surprising, so I, I have this lift because while I'm doing this conversation, while I'm asking the cast of Mr. Robot about, you know, pranks on set and we show Carly's audition tape for the part of Darlene, there is a second narrative emerging in my head where I'm like, I'm in now. Not only am I in, Jack Nicholson loves me. Oh, yeah. I'm going to go to Lakers games. You're writing not the just third Chinatown movie. The, 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 yeah, that, I got there eventually. My first thought was maybe he'd come on our podcast, which is a very, very humble thing to think when Jack Nicholson is my number one fan. Do you think like, Nicholson knows what
0: podcasts any- are?
1: No, but that's literally like you, you rub a lamp and the genie from Aladdin comes out and I'm like, I'd like Chinese food for dinner. Like you could think bigger. Right. You know what I mean? Right, right, So So this, this whole panel goes on and by the end of it, like I am literally feeding Jack Nicholson kibble from my hands. He loves everything we've done. We end the panel with a blooper reel and he's in stitches. He loves it. There's a younger woman next to him but not Lara Flynn Boyle in the 90s age appropriate young, like a, a younger woman and she's filming the thing. And I'm like maybe, maybe, maybe Jack just wants to remember this. Maybe he's told this woman film the guy in the blazer <laughs> because that guy can really moderate. We come off stage. We emerge from the stage and I and, and I'm talking to Portia and I'm like I can't believe Jack Nicholson is here. She's like, I know. I'm losing it. And I turn to Grace Gummer and I say, I can't believe Jack Nicholson was here. And Grace Gummer looks at me and she says, that's not Jack. And the key from her comment...
0: shit. (laughs) The
1: key comment isn't that she says that's not Jack Nicholson. It's that Grace Gummer, Grace, my mother has worked with Jack Nicholson. My mother knows more about him than ordering Chinese food. Doesn't say that's not Jack Nicholson. She says that's not jack so which immediately makes me realize what a peon i am in the hollywood firmament
0: wait how but, so was it a lookalike because how did it convince the entire cast of mr robot other than someone related to meryl streep and you that that was happening did did sam think this, it was jack
1: this, this is the power of hollywood mythmaking. because the more we thought about it like jack nicholson has gotten a little bit i don't mean this no disrespect he's an older man he's got a little wider in his last public appearances, you know? And there was a story that I believe is true. It's not like a rumor. I think that he had generally stopped working because he was losing his hearing. Um, This was not, this man was not that. This man was like dream version of what we all wanted Jack Nicholson to be because also we all wanted him to be there, you know? We wanted him to be such a fan of Mr. Robot. He's a fan of Mr. Robot cast panels.
0: So wait, did and you go do a, did you do a, a breeze by to confirm that this was his, this was just a lookalike?
1: We, it, it, it was literally like a magic trick. Like as soon as she told us that, oh, the we glass all shattered. Like, Oh yeah, oh yeah, we all, we all knew it. And, you know, and Portia said to me, you know, I'm just disappointed because my, I thought you thought you, he was going to be in your podcast. She said, I, I thought he was going to ask me out. And I said, well, well, well good news, bad news. Bad news is Jack Nicholson isn't going to ask you out, but but good news: a random lupine sixty-something who creeps in the front row of SAG panels on Wednesday night definitely wants to be your boyfriend. Well, I,
0: I think you played that right because the other option there would have been as soon as Grace said that, you could have been like, "Yeah, I know, I know, I was testing you, and I was testing all these knuckleheads, and they got it wrong. What a bunch of starfuckers!" <laughs> like.
1: And then and then give them all noogies and walk out. Yeah. <laughs> so good. To, but look, good I just story. feel like to me. But to me, it's aspirational because any night in this in this glittering town of dreams, you know, you can also pretend to see an, an idol, incorrectly identify someone.
0: Um, that's a great but, story, man. I really I liked that a lot. Uh, nice. I have a story of my own. Okay. Uh, about ten years ago, uh, <laughs> exactly ten years ago, it turns out, I uh, started working for the Fader magazine. And I was just like, you know, writing stuff on the internet for them and writing lo- pieces for them. And my first cover story that I did, gosh, I think it was a cover. I can't remember. It might not even, it might not have even been a cover. Let's not get ahead of ourselves. Um, but my first big feature that I did for them was an assignment to go down to Virginia with a photographer mm-hmm. and talk about, and, and talk to uh, the to two brothers who made up this rap group Clips, who obviously had been. Pretty successful like, uh, like had like a huge hit with Grindin' off of Lord William Lord Willen had become like a real like street rap classic people adored it people you know they were like the perfect rapper foils for the Neptunes who were the biggest producers at that time in the mid 2000s and everybody was ready let's go second album we can't wait and they had wound up getting into huge label drama with their label jive um, over their sophomore record. And, you know, I can't remember quite the chronology of when the We Got It For Cheap mixtape started coming out. But Clips was essentially, like a lot of rap groups around that time, a lot of artists around that time, Mm -hmm. they were lost, quote-unquote. Like, you would get a lot of these... Pretty great mixtapes, but the album never lived up to it, and then they would sort of peter out, or they would have a great album, but the second album would never come, or like they would just be all sorts of complications and mysteries about why pe- some people ca- caught on, some people didn't, people would kind of get lost to time, and Clips were really in danger of doing that. It sounds crazy to say it now, but it was it was definitely real that when I remember when they came to New York to play the We Got It for Cheap album, like basically the entire mixtape plus like classics you know that that was still like w- people thought maybe clips is only ever going to put mixtapes out from now on and for a while there not even though we got it for cheap tapes weren't really like, catching on quite the same way like say a gangster girls it's, tapes were, were really big or more it, like it, even it's 50. also is
1: it, isn't it also worth saying that just considering we're, 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 we're telling this story from the fogs of time to a 2016 audience you just described the worst case scenario for clips 10 years ago is chance the rapper's career Right. Yeah, like, he, yeah. that, that dude still hasn't made an album. But 10 years ago, it was still a little bit murkier.
0: Yeah. I mean, it would be kind of the equivalent. So basically, I think that because of their association with the Neptunes, because they had done stuff. I don't remember when they did the Justin Timberlake song,
1: but they like that, it, they, that was no, the, the Timberlake song was before any of this. The Timberlake yeah. song was their, the first appearance, was. was it was, that, was, that was contemporaneous to Lord Willen. Okay, that so the, but before. they were pretty...
0: I mean, it's not like they were starving, but they were definitely being... Their career had been derailed by all this label stuff. And um, so I went down to Virginia. This record was mythical, right? Like, we had heard about mm-hmm. this album that was supposed to be called Hell Hath No Fury, and it was too dark to be released. There was all these reasons. And I got down there... And I went to Hovercraft Studios in uh, in Virginia, and it was um, it was me, and it was Chad Hugo from the Neptunes, and Malice, and eventually Pusher from Clips showed up, and we all like went into the studio, and they uh, took off. Like I remember, still this to this day, like going in and Push takes off his babes. And they hit play and they play Hell Hath No Fury. And my face melted, you know, partially because Pusher wrapped the entire album in my face while I was <laughs> listening to it. So I was just like, this is about as good as life gets. I don't really know if I've gotten higher than that. And uh and and you know, like we went on to spend the next day or so together. Like we ate at a cheesecake factory and walked around the beach a little bit and just talked about like where things were at. And it took a while, but like, you know, you start to get into um you know, I basically not unlike ideas that we talk about with some of the shows that we love, like, say, like Night of or something like that, where, like, the degrees to which Pusha was pulling things from personal experience. But, like, ultimately, like, he found that stuff as much as it was autobiographical, he found it to just be incredibly rich text to, like, work from. Anyway, it goes on and on. And uh, eventually, Hell Hath No Fury does come out. And now is celebrating its tenth anniversary, and is considered a classic of of that decade, a, cl- a rap classic of that decade. So I, this is just like an all like a very long way of saying it. I wasn't really even planning on like telling that story. It wasn't, and, and I think the thing that I I will remember from that the most is the sadness that was hanging around those guys at the time, because it was really genuine that they just didn't know if this was ever going to come out. And either they were going to have to leak it themselves, which would probably further destroy a lot of the credibility they had with their label. Um, you know, there was a lot of stuff probably tied up with the Neptunes at the time in terms of like what the Neptunes could not couldn't sort of support. And, and Chad and Pharrell had done the whole record with production but i remember the sadness around like the sort of state of the record and i also remember um the kind of melancholy that was like there this was we're talking like kind of like ex-Burbs Virginia Beach, you know? Like, it wasn't, It we mm. were at a cheesecake factory, and it was just, there was something kind of, like, emotionally barren and soulless about where we were, and uh, and I remember, the you know, the music very much reflecting that, and the music was also very much reflecting that time in American life, you know? Uh, this is pre, it, pre-Obama, oh, oh 05, or whenever it was, when I heard it, and uh, there, it was funny, like, I eventually wound up getting, getting to hear it on an iPod that belonged to Clips' publicist. He was like, here it is. Like you have to give me the iPod back. And it was like everything I could do, because I was like, I would never bootleg an artist's work, but I was literally like, if no one gets to hear this, like what is gonna happen? You know? Like I can't, I can't be the only person. And thank God everybody did get to hear it. But let's also
1: contextualize, like, the reason one of the reasons that no one wanted to release the record is because it wasn't, you know, a rap album couldn't be such a in the popular thinking, not the popular thinking, in the industry thinking, a rap album couldn't be a singular focused work. It had to be basically a a or it had to be a salad bar of, you know, of guest features, of R&B tracks, of love track, of pop songs. You had to just throw everything onto it in the hopes that one of those things might pop and sell the rest of it. The idea of, you know, what, what we, what I think even now the mainstream culture Champions in terms of purity, fierce purity of artistic vision in something other than prog rock. You know what I mean? Like nobody batted an eye when Radiohead made Kid A, but today we're in a world where Kendrick Lamar can make um, To Pimp a Butterfly or Beyonce can make Lemonade and, and R&B and hip-hop are considered, certainly, thank God, but are considered artistic equals in terms of the pu- fierce purity of artistic vision on an album and what an album can be. Hell Hath No Fury is still to this day... Visionary. I mean, the track I was listening to it yesterday, and they basically invented Yeezus on Trill. It's all there as this text. But the thing about it that I still love is it is relentless. It is teeth grinding, terrifying, amoral nihilism that somehow sounds more inviting than a swimming pool. And you know, one of the re- to connect it to the reasons why we love anything on this podcast is like it is the to my mind it is probably the ultimate genre album, right? Yeah. Because I don't... It's not just that I don't care if Pusha really sold drugs to the degree that he's, he and his brother claim they do on the record. He, even he's moved past that. I mean, he was out there politicking with Tim Kaine. And by the way, there is... N- <laughs> the only reason I want another chapter if We Got It For Cheap is so that they can, they can just talk about how there's a senator from Virginia named Tim Kaine. It's almost too good to be true. But it, it's basically like reading one of these crime novels that we're already talking about. It is, it is a relentless vicious lyrically brilliant and clever um, window into a into a fiercely curated and understood world which is why we like crime fiction even though we don't necessarily like you know in real life we don't like shooting people in the face well, I, at least I speak for myself
0: yeah and I, I it's funny I have to I have to be honest when I heard the record I mean obviously like the first experience of hearing the record was one one thing but when the r- album finally came out in six, I would say that I was like 90% committed to it because the 10% that I was holding back was about was all tied up in my sort of steadfast belief that we got it for cheap volume two was like like a truly totemic, like it, crowning <laughs> rap achievement. I, I, and be, I still feel that way. And part of the problem with that was that because they were sort of tied up in this label stuff, they were just like, well, whatever, we'll just rap over hate it or love it. And this TIB and this ludicrous beat and Daytona five hundred and Daytona five hundred and, and this common beat and we'll just we'll just take we'll just take the best of rap and then we'll just destroy it we'll just like we'll just be the best coke rappers there are in the game and and uh, two of the best rappers and so the the sort of switch back to this pure Neptune sound and a Neptune sound that was not uh you know club friendly by any means. Um, was was kind of jarring and it took but but now when you go back and you listen to chinese new year or you listen to trill or you listen to dirty money or ride around shining it's like such a perfect marriage of lyrics and music it's so great it it,
1: because the other thing about it is that you know it's artistry and in the sense that the music is so it's so pristine it enters an uncanny valley and starts to sound fake you know it it lyrically you could mistake what they're doing for for glorifying certain ways of life or certain extravagance but the music undercuts it in a way that is wholly absolutely intentional i mean these are very very smart guys and they know what they're doing you know the the, the music starts to sound like pyrite the music starts to sound like the diamonds that they're talking about are fake you know it, it the music undercuts the celebration of debauchery with that sort of with the ugly light the, the dawn coming up at 5 a.m in a way that is still still haunting um not nearly as haunting as the fact that your man, Roscoe P. Coldchain, got, got a hot 16 on Chinese New Year. Oh, forever. Which I, ho- which I hope I hope at least pays like the car note for that dude, because God bless him.
0: Let, look, it, 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 I mean, we can't recommend this album highly enough if you haven't spent time with it recently, or if you, God forbid, have not heard it before, you should really check it out. Let's quickly wrap up, though, by talking about another person who is very familiar with the 5am Dawn Chills. <laughs> Which mm-hmm. is uh Weekend who put out his new album. We briefly mentioned it on Monday, I think, um, Starboy. Uh you know, I wanted to see, because like this is an interesting thing. Like I was in Starbucks the other day with a couple of coworkers and the general sort of take on this was I miss Goth Weekend. You know, in, in a weird Ugh. way when 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 Abel was making this trilogy of Susie and the Banshees R and B back a couple years ago. On his mixtapes, people were like, "Yeah, but is he ever gonna figure it out and write a hit?" And then obviously he wrote, "I can't feel my face," and and "The Hills," and and um, it really worked. Everything worked out for him. But do you miss Goth Weekend or are you into Daft Punk '80s Michael Jackson Weekend, who still, still his lyrically content wise is still just as dark.
1: I mean, I am generally a fan of ambition in artists, and I love the fact that he made, you know, House of Balloons, which is still a classic, but then was able to go widescreen. You know, I, I, it's, it's thrilling to me to see someone who is so good at doing something within a smaller frame really take to the larger canvas. I love pop songs. I think he's kind of a genius at them because he is one of the rare artists who has... Gone on to the main stage, but still brings. I mean, I'm going to use a punk metaphor, but he still kind of brings. He he doesn't bring the basement. He brings kind of a gutter ethos to yeah. what he's singing about. Yeah, and he subverts it just by doing it. Um, I I I liked the singles off of the last record. I uh, I think the my only frustration with Starboy is that for like nine tracks, I'm like this is an this is a modern masterpiece, and then there's nine more tracks, and. I just wish that someone had given him an editor. I know that they ca- these albums cost a lot of money these days with the co-writes and everything. And CDs or streaming sites are limitless in terms of how much data you need. But I was so excited do you because in- this dude got Daft Punk to produce two tracks, and the two tracks are brilliant. Like it is a brilliant, especially especially I feel it come in the last track on the album. Do, but do you include like,
0: uh, e- sidewalks in the list of songs that are great on this album?
1: Sidewalks should be on. Sidewalks is on my curated version of this album. Yeah. Yes, as is Reminder, which is kind of the spiritual successor to that initial trilogy, but 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 very very sly winking update to it. I when I hear False Alarm, I'm so excited to to be 20 years older and then watch a movie about the 2010s and have the debaucherous rave sequence set to that song because I will immediately know that will be the that that will be the song that people use to identify. 2016 because <laughs> it just it that it just it seems as if it was written to accomplish that and it does. I even like the Lana Del Rey song, man. You know, I think this guy is really good at doing what he does. I just wish that he had cut the album by half. But to your point about your Starbucks cipher, what's interesting about fame right now is that the ki- type of fame that we used to talk about when we would talk about like remember how the cure could sell out the spectrum sure even before friday i'm in love of course yeah because because the diehards would come and support them people who lived and breathed them you know the people who liked the songs on disintegration that weren't pictures of you and love song yeah um that type of fandom is what i was thinking of when we went to the saint pablo tour and we saw the the, the the religious ferocity of the people in the mosh pit and similarly like those are the people who will just on the strength of their adoration will carry the weekend over gold status no matter what he puts out you know what I mean and so maybe the nine tracks on this album that I think are a little bit middling and a little bit recursive and dark like that's that's for the real heads. Yeah, and I mean because those are, the albums those, can be so long. It's for everybody. Those you know? are
0: for the people who still believe in Kiss Land, like me. <laughs> <laughs> do, you, do you still believe in Kiss The Professional is actually my favorite weekend song. The first song on wow. Kiss Land. Yeah, I know.
1: I, I I just think that, you know, it it's it we don't have many artists who are completely have a completely articulated point of view and then can bring that point of view with them to different palettes like whether he's dueting with Ariana Grande or singing or, or, or rhyming "Kid show and bag of blow as he does on this record, which I really <laughs> appreciate. Um, for that reason alone, he's to be celebrated. And then the fact that he gets those French robots to like leave their chateaus and, and make songs that that are this exciting, I think is a reason to celebrate.
0: All right. Well, we will be back on Monday to talk about the finale of Westworld and some other stuff. Until then, thanks for joining me, Andy. Great job, good. Thanks again to The Books for sponsoring today's episode. The Books Company starts with farm-fresh flowers that arrive days after they are cut. Prices start at a mere 40 bucks, and there are no hidden fees. Right now, listeners can save $15. Just go to books.com slash watch. That's B-O-U-Q-S dot com slash watch. Thank you again to Sonos for sponsoring us today. Sonos is the smart speaker system that streams all your favorite music to any room or every room. Control your music with one simple app and fill your home with pure immersive sound. One simple app brings together all your favorite music services and lets you control everything from songs to volume to rooms to Starboy to Hell Hath No Fury play a different song in the living room bedroom even bathroom or the same track in every room if you're having a party and why aren't you having a party add your existing music services or discover something new sonos.com go there right now